the Federal Reserve is being forced into a stealth QE. At least that's what you hear according to the Twitters or what people tell me was going on on Twitter because I barely know. Anyway, the government, Congress in particular, as you probably have heard, has reached a debt ceiling impasse, which seems to be a fairly regular occurrence anyway. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has already sent an official letter to Congress saying, because of this debt ceiling impasse, the debt ceiling isn't being raised, the department is being forced into extraordinary measures, which include drawing down the TGA balance. And as Twitter knows, every dollar that's drawn down in the TGA balance is more reserves for the banking system. At the worst possible time, it's said, because what is the Federal Reserve trying to do? The Federal Reserve is trying to stamp out inflation through, among other things, quantitative tightening, reducing the size of its balance sheet, reducing the systemic level of bank reserves. At the t Now we comes along the debt ceiling uh, drama, and what happens? Bank reserves go back into the system. Are we in danger of an exploding reinflationary reignition, whatever reword you can come up with here? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to unpack all this stuff about TGA, what really goes on money and inflation-wise. And we're going to start with a story about when banks were rejecting government tax payments for, for some pretty non-surprising reasons for Eurodollar University fans and members. All that we'll get into Stealth QE today. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, if you're interested in becoming a Eurodollar University member, there's a lot that you can learn about all these things, money, banking, curves, markets, economy, implications, all that stuff. Eurodollar University members get access to exclusive videos where we go through all of these mechanics or most of them so far. We'll get to all of them eventually. Uh, information at the Eurodollar University website. We also have research subscriptions available. This TGA stuff, I already wrote a deep dive analysis on it yesterday. At our deep dive analysis research subscriptions, I also do a daily briefing that's a bundle in partnership with Markets Insider Pro. Any of that stuff, if you're interested, check us out at eurodollar.university. The mechanics of this idea, the stealth QE stuff, are at least correct. In other words, that every dollar that the TGA, every dollar that goes out of the TGA goes into the banking system as a reserve. Just like before the, where the, the, the federal government really used the TGA, there was every dollar in tax payments that was made is a dollar that left the banking system. In fact, this TGA stuff really is a relatively new phenomenon, at least at the scale that we're seeing. The TGA, of course, goes all the way back to the start of the Federal Reserve. In fact, this was a major problem during World War I when the federal government wanted to finance its entry into World War I and did so using Liberty Bonds. Now, Liberty Bond sales meant that bank, commercial bank agents on behalf of the federal government would collect payments for those bonds. But they also noticed that if they collected payments for the bonds and immediately transferred them into the government's hands, that was money that was taken out of the economy. And often at the worst possible times, seasonal flows being what they were. So what happened was the government decided that we don't want that, especially since government expenditures tended to be lumpy. So all of this cash would be sitting in a government account at the Federal Reserve doing nothing when it could be put to better use in the real economy. 
So the government created what was called the War Loan Deposit Account, where commercial banks could hold these deposits on behalf of the Treasury Department and then transfer them in lump payments later on, usually when they were more, more closely matched expenditures, which meant that money taken out of the economy from for these war bond payments or tax payments would then be transferred to a commercial bank, which would hold them and use them and then transfer them to the government, which would then immediately spend them so the money would go right back into the economy again. It would minimize the disruption to government, uh, disruption to the, the monetary flows in the economy due to tax payments, borrowing, and government, uh, government activities. The war loan deposit accounts eventually became something called the Treasury Tax and Loan Program. The distinction here was the same kind of setup as the, as the war loan deposit accounts, except with the Treasury Tax and Loan Program, if you were going to hold deposits on behalf of the federal government, you had to do so by showing collateral. In other words, if you're collecting what is essentially an interest-free loan, it wasn't interest-free, they actually had to pay an interest rate, but a low-cost loan collecting funds on behalf of the federal government, you had to at least have you had to at least post some collateral because the federal government didn't want to lose its money for obvious reasons. So along comes the unholiest of days, unholiest of holidays in 1997. I'm talking, of course, about income tax day. So this is April 15th of 1997. And if you remember 1997, if you're old enough like me, it was the roaring dot-com bubble, which meant that there was often a windfall surplus of taxes coming in from uh, capital gains based on all of the huge appreciation in stocks. And what that meant was, a, especially as April 15 grew closer, and then on April 15th, there would be a rush of tax payments being made, which were collected by these commercial banks. But because of conditions in April 1997, the, the behavior of stocks up until that point, there was so much taxes coming in that commercial banks did not have the collateral in order to be able to process this. And because of that, a lot of that money had to go immediately into the TGA rather than the federal government's standing practice, which was to hold these deposits out in the Treasury Tax and Loan Program accounts because they wanted those funds in the banking system. And it got to be such a point that it got to be such a, a real problem that the federal funds rate actually began to rise, sparking attention from Alan Greenspan's Fed. Now, in the initial aftermath of April 15th, banks found enough collateral that they could absorb the income tax payments and the TGA balance was wound back down again. It was standard practice at the time before 2008 where the government would only hold a minimum clearing balance in the TGA and leave most of the rest of its deposits in these treasury tax and loan deposit accounts with the commercial banking system. But more tax payments came rushing in at the second half of April of, 2000, uh, April of 1997. It's too many that the banking system could not put up enough collateral. Therefore, the TGA balance swelled. And as is the case, more dollars in the TGA means fewer reserves out in the system to the point where Peter Fisher, the open market uh, system manager at the time, was forced into conducting really sizable repos into the market to put reserves back into the system, right? So the, 
The commercial banks don't have enough collateral. Taxes come in. They have to send those taxes immediately to the TGA, which drains the system of liquidity, purportedly, leading to a higher federal funds rate Then the Fed has to push those reserves back into the system by conducting open market operations. To our modern ears, where everything is about bank reserves, that's what it sounded like. That it was because of this quirk in the TGA, because of this restraint in collateral, there had to have been a negative liquidity consequence to essentially what would have been called today a stealth QT. The federal government's standard practices with taxation leading to a involuntary drain of reserves from the system. But there's more to the story here. There's always more to the story. It's not so simple about bank reserves and TGAs because as the FOMC looked back in May of 1997 on what had happened, and really it was one of those things that, that people said, people who pay attention, which obviously there weren't many because hardly anybody knows this happened, but the federal funds rate at one point on, I think it was April 23rd, got to be 45 basis points above its target. So there was something unusual about this episode, but it was, was, but was it the TGA part of it? Well, the FOMC, again, going back to Peter Fisher, the head of the, the open market desk, said, not really. Because banks, banks know ahead of time, they have a really good sense ahead of time about how much, their, how much taxes are going to be coming in, how much collateral they have, really what's, what, what, what their liquidity needs are going to be. Because you have to know, you have to have a really good idea of what's going on with your liquidity and your, your institution. Otherwise, you're at pretty substantial risk of making an even bigger mistake. So the income tax, the FOMC found out that the income tax payments weren't really that much higher than had been expected. Instead, something else, including collateral, had caused banks to become more sensitive to what was going on in terms of reserve. In fact, here's the quote from Peter Fisher. Our initial conclusion is that the market is somewhat more sensitive this year compared to last year, which may be owing to the lower operating balances. Now, it wasn't really the lower operating balances, but he was right because 1996 had been a big tax payment year too. So it wasn't as if the commercial banking system had, hadn't had experience with higher than usual tax payments. Something else made them, in the words of Mr. Fisher, more, somewhat more sensitive, a lot more sensitive. Those things, never really identified because that's not what the Federal Reserve does. But here's the point here, the point that we're trying to make. It's never so simple as cash going from the government into the TGA, out of the banking system, the level of reserves. In fact, the, the primary lesson from this episode is why banks were so sensitive to small changes beyond projected or beyond projections. What was it that made banks so sensitive? Could it have been just a couple months later, what would become the Asian financial crisis? Could they have been looking at their overseas operations and thought, I'm a little uncomfortable about liquidity here. So a small increase beyond projections and tax payments, less collateral than we thought would be available to absorb them and keep them in the treasury tax and loan program led to an overreaction. Now the Fed never really got to the bottom of that, but it's in the context of what we know about later in 1997, that makes a hell of a lot more sense than just 
TGA, TGA, bank reserves, bank reserves. Because the issue is always more complicated than bank reserves, as you'll see. Let's go ahead to 2008. Again, the same situation. Except this time, it wasn't a stealth QT. It was intentional. In the wake of Lehman Brothers, AIG, all the stuff the Federal Reserve did, they could no longer sterilize bank reserves. In fact, if that's what they had been doing beforehand. They've been actually selling treasuries into the marketplace to try to keep the level of bank reserves relatively steady, even as the crisis erupted and all of the things that were happening in the commercial banking system that had nothing to do with the level of bank reserves. But by Lehman Brothers in late September 2008, they realized they can't sell any more treasuries. They'll be out of them pretty soon. And the scale of the disaster was such that the level of bank reserves were going to have to go way up, which obviously they did through overseas dollar swaps. There's a clue there. So what the Federal Reserve said, we don't want to have just unconstrained reserve reserve growth because they were afraid that would be inflationary, which is ridiculous today. But yeah, they actually were afraid of them being inflationary. So during the worst monetary crisis since the Great Depression, the Fed sought to drain as much bank reserves as possible out of the system. Drain as much reserves as possible out of the system during the worst monetary crisis in generations. And they did so using things like reverse repo. They came up with something called the Supplementary Financing Program, which is essentially creating treasury bills with the Treasury Department, which they couldn't do to, there's a limitation on that because of the debt ceiling. They also decided in cooperation with the Treasury Department that they would allow, that the, uh, they would encourage the Treasury Department to, to stop using the Treasury Tax and Loan Program and start draining those reserves by putting all of its receipts into the TGA. So up until late September of 2008, there was never really more than about $5 billion in the TGA. And from September, the end of September 2008 to October 2008, suddenly there was $100 billion in the TGA, which has become standard practice in this doctrine of abundant reserves. The Federalist government is helping the Fed manage its reserves by holding some of them back in the TGA. But of course, that was all absolutely absurd because the level of bank reserves back in 2008 was completely irrelevant. We had a massive monetary crisis that spanned the entire world, regardless of the level of reserves. And not only that, the, the Federal Reserve's efforts at draining reserves in order to get the federal funds rate, by which had been well below target, to get that back up to where they wanted it to be, didn't work either. And they even added IOER, which today was called interest on reserves, didn't matter. The focus on reserves, the focus on especially the TGA, was misplaced. The level of reserves is immaterial to the liquidity conditions globally because it's about something else. It's about the same thing. It's about sensitivity to liquidity, as Peter Fisher put it a decade earlier. So let's fast forward to now September of 2019. You might remember that one. Something happened in repo. And that major repo outbreak was blamed on, get this, the TGA. Like 1997, commercial banks had a good idea. And as far as I've seen the estimates there, they were spot on about how much was going to have to be transferred to TGA. This was not a surprise. Furthermore, as, as Chairman Powell had admitted in his press conference, I believe it was in November or maybe December 2019, 
You'll see it on the quote on the screen here. But either way, as Powell had admitted just a little bit after the September events, banks had told them we had plenty of reserves. Reserves were not the issue. But they became an issue because nobody pays attention to what Peter Fisher said back in 1997. We're left thinking it must be the federal government, in large part because we're told to put all of these things into the Federal, federal Reserve's lap. The federal government, the Federal Reserve, bank reserves, these are the most powerful things there are. Except no, time and time again, we find out liquidity is about commercial banks. And you don't have to take my word for it. There was a recent study published, well, not a study, a, a preprint of likely a paper and a, and a uh, summary of a paper published just a couple weeks ago at, Feder at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's Liberty Street Economics blog. Long story short, seeking to connect the level of bank reserves with intermediation through foreign bank offices, FBOs. Imagine that, global liquidity, foreign banks are involved in that. Well, FBRNY tells you, yes, they play a serious role. And as part of this effort to connect liquidity with bank reserves, they also had to talk about the rise, in, the, the increase and decrease in the TGA. And what do you see in the, uh, their, the author's discovery and study of this connection between the repo rate, therefore a proxy for the liquidity in the repo market, and the TGA? Well, they say there's, they show you the, this line on the screen here, that there is a statistical relationship between the TGA balance and the repo rate, which to me, I see that and say, there's no real correlation there. Even worse, they have to admit the two days in September of 2019, when we had this repo rumble, which those two days are a true outlier, which again suggests very strongly that there isn't much of a relationship between the TGA and the repo rate. Really not one is not not as much of one as so as often presumed. And that, that goes as a proxy for overall dollar liquidity. It doesn't matter what's going on in the TGA. It even doesn't really matter the level of bank reserves. Here, let me sum it up here with a quote from FRMBNY. The willingness and ability of banks to use reserves to lend in private money markets once again depends on banks' balance sheet constraints, this time involving the composition of short-term claims as opposed to the overall size of the balance sheet. Again, collateral, one of those. These constraints can arise both regulations, not really, and from self-imposed risk management practices such as intraday liquidity constraints or the constraints regarding distribution of liquidity across entities and jurisdictions. She might as well have been writing that about 1997, 2007, or 2023, which is the year she actually wrote this. In other words, TGA, bank reserves, Mechanically, there is that underlying truth that yes, a dollar that goes into the TGA is a dollar that comes out of bank reserves or a dollar that comes out of the TGA is a dollar that goes into bank reserves, but that's all it means. Liquidity, money in the real economy, it's not about reserves. It's about balance sheet constraints. And we've known this for many years, but the public has never been informed so as to keep our focus on the Fed, where it doesn't belong. 
I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, a huge thank you to Eurodollar University members, as well as all of our research subscribers. And until next time, take care.